For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel. Recently released polls show some very different results in the gubernatorial race. Governor Stitt's internal polling shows him ahead by 14 points, but an independent survey by News 9 and Sooner Poll shows Democratic challenger Joy Hoffmeister with nearly a four-point lead. Also, a poll from Libertarian Natalie Bruno shows a slight edge for Hoffmeister. Ryan, what do you think about these dueling polls? Well, I think that we're probably going to see more of these dueling polls all the way up to election. The only poll that counts is the one that the people take after 7 p.m. when the polls close on election day. Uh, but it is quite striking to see multiple polls uh, that have you know, demonstrated a, either a shrinking lead for the incumbent governor, Governor Kevin Stitt, uh, and a growing uh, support for Joy Hoffmeister, his Democratic opponent. And then, you know, now to begin to see Joy Hoffmeister actually overtake Kevin Stitt in these polls a month out from the election. And I think all of this is, is happening in, in the context of you know, multiple other uh, uh, efforts to, uh, to go after Governor Stitt from independent groups. And we really haven't even seen the full force of that yet. I know that the governor's campaign uh, continues to say that, uh, that he's set for a landslide. You know, his, his internal memo shows that he's set to win 76, if not 77 counties in the state of Oklahoma. To me, that sounds a lot more like Trump bluster, uh, Trumpian bluster than it does, you know, actual confidence in where you are in the polls. I, I think that the, the governor's campaign would do a lot better for themselves to acknowledge that they've got a real race on their hands and to not pretend that Joy Hoffmeister is going to be uh, is going to be routed in 77 counties in the state of Oklahoma, because whatever happens on election night, that that's certainly not the case. So, yeah, the, the governor is uh, in also in kind of Trump fashion, you know, picking fights with these news organizations uh, over debates, you know, News 9 released this poll showing Joy Hoffmeister in the lead. Um, and then News 9 has criticized him for not attending a, uh, or for not accepting an invitation for a debate. And then the governor has called the news channel out. It's pretty remarkable that you have a governor calling an entire affiliate news channel out uh, on Twitter and accusing them of negative campaigning against the governor's administration. But, you know, again, buckle your seats because it, I think it's going to get more wild between now and uh, November. Neva. It is. I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, I would agree, Ryan. I mean, and when you look at these polls, I mean, the national folks, uh, Nate Silver and 538 is uh, certainly a group that a lot of people watch because what they do is take in any state, just like in Oklahoma, all of these competing polls that are coming out, all of this information, and they update an average and they take into account uh, what the polls quality is and the sample size and whether it has partisan lean, all of those factors. And when you really look at that, uh, you start in March of this year with the governor with a 14 point uh, lead over Joy Hoffmeister. And now coming down to their latest uh, entry, which was uh, earlier this week, they're showing it at a five point race uh, with the governor still leading. But anyone would argue that certainly with, that that's within the margin of error. So um, it, it does appear that uh, that this race is tightening. Um, and I think that when you get when you get the internal memo that you referred to, Ryan, I mean, certainly uh, those kind of uh, polling memos that sometimes are kind of leaked out into the in the for public consumption 
Uh, they also are for a couple of other reasons for anyone's polling, and that is uh, oftentimes you're looking to uh, stir fundraising and, and help on that front in the last three or four weeks of a race, and you're also looking to build momentum. So I think I think we'll continue to see, just like we've seen some of the television stations uh, commission their polls and put them out there. We're going to see a lot of conversation about polls in the in the closing stretch, and it really centers on one or two races, as we've talked about before. Most of the other races seem uh, uh, seem to have uh, mu much less uh, of a competitive edge to them, and so I think it will be fascinating if we see any real wild twists. I thought Natalie uh, Bruno. Uh, I thought it was interesting when she released her information because while it did show the governor's race in a dead heat. I mean, she also used it for her own spin because she basically was uh, trying to suggest to her supporters that uh, if they would talk to three people and get them out to vote, then she would be able to win based upon the numbers that she had. And we were talking, uh, I think it was just about 3,000 likely voters that she said that they had uh, uh, that they had been polling with their campaign. So, but again, when you look at all of the races being polled, that's the one thing that I think people are starting to really uh, pay attention to, be fascinated with, is that um, we're not hearing as much attention about the national, uh, kind of the federal races, the U.S. Senate races, the congressional races, um, and what we're really now seeing is a real clear focus on the governor's race. Yeah, we, we've ended up with kind of a sleeper season for the U.S. Senate race, uh, for U.S. Senate races. I mean, the fact that we have two United States Senate uh, campaign or uh, Senate elections on a single ballot in the state of Oklahoma is a huge deal. And we're just not hearing a lot about that. The state superintendent race, as you mentioned, Neva, the gubernatorial race, those have taken all of the oxygen out of the room. Uh, and, you know, talking about Bruno's poll, uh, it, did, it did seem to be consistent with the other polls that we've seen. The, the only outlier here really seems to be Stitt's internal poll. Uh, and even that shows that the governor's favorables are under 50%. I, you know, it's, you know, that's, that's hard to put that out as an internal memo to uh, excite your fundraising base uh, to you know, continue to invest in your campaign when your own favorables are under 50%. You know, it got me to thinking about Governor Stitt whenever he was first elected. I, I think on this program, you go back to the archives, everybody. I know everybody goes back and just listens to the archives of this deal, but uh, you go back to the archives. I think that Neva and I both commented that Governor Stitt came into office with more political capital than any governor that we can think of. And you know, now here he is four years later in a fight for his life for re-election. And he's spent that four years really, instead of building that political capital, he's spent it all in large chunks uh, in, in a few different places. And it's it's difficult to see what he's got left. I mean, every time I turn on the TV, I don't see Democrats criticizing the governor. I see Republicans, his own party, criticizing the governor. Uh, and the drop off of Republican support for the governor in these polls is quite remarkable as well. So it's uh, it, it's it's difficult to see how you know it's not difficult to see. I, we can know we know exactly how we got here. But it's if you had told me four years ago that Governor Stitt would be in the position that he's in right now, uh, I don't know that I would have believed you. Governor Sid is downplaying the call for a teacher raised by his opponent. Hoffmeister is calling for a $5,000 increase in salaries. But Sid says such a move would be a, quote, easy cop out. Sid is questioning the importance of a teacher raise and pointing to a state report ranking Oklahoma number one in educator wages. 
The National Education Association says teachers in our state make less than the averages in Texas, Colorado, and New Mexico. Neva, do you think downplaying a teacher pay raise will hurt him among education uh, advocates? Well, I mean, again, the, these are the questions that I think uh, much of what happens in, in the election hinge on. I mean, education is a is a key issue. And certainly the governor last week when he was uh, at this uh, education forum at OU, he did seem to uh, continue to kind of strike this chord of the need to really uh, push on the the school choice, and I think uh, I think this is becoming the kind of the marker in the education debate because clearly you have two candidates with very divergent views on on that subject, and I think uh, Joy Hoffmeister clearly is working rural Oklahoma trying to make the point. I mean, she says that uh, you know I think uh, uh, her basic position is that this is a death nail on. Uh, rural schools and the governor saying that this is the only way to really seriously address the education issues uh, that um, that we continue to face in terms of um, many things. I mean, and not the least of which is, I mean, when you look at the emergency teaching certificates this year, uh, almost 3,600, I think, that were issued. I mean, these uh, these are issues that lawmakers, these are issues that the governor and all parties have to eventually get to the table and start to really uh, find some, you know, find some common ground and some ways to deal with this. They can talk the game and they can have competing statistics all day long because you can find for one, you know, if you want to have the loft statistics that the governor quoted and and the NEA statistics that uh, uh, that Hoffmeister quoted or whatever, you know, numbers and statistics you want to uh, throw out there. The bottom line is, I think in the minds of voters, they know this is a problem that they want fixed. What they're looking at is what are the the real concrete ideas and solutions being proposed? And then I think it will be a factor in in large measure on how many Oklahomans decide who they will vote for on November 8th. Ryan. Well, it's almost like the governor has given up on the educator vote. Um, you know, I, I think that there's probably a good sense within the governor's team that educators are going to break overwhelmingly for Joy Hoffmeister. But I don't think that they're considering, as Neva said, the effect that this kind of statement and then his 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 emphasis on on a voucher program. Um, I don't think it, he has a real appreciation for what that's going to do to voters in rural schools. Joy Hoffmeister has called uh, the governor's private school tuition plan a rural school killer. And Republicans, uh, Republicans in the legislature agree with her. Uh, many rural Republicans in the legislature agree with her. That's why that bill did not make it to the governor's desk this last legislative session is because Democrats, along with rural Republicans, kept that bill from moving. And I, I think that when um, if Governor Stitt is going to get elected to a second term, he has to win big in rural Oklahoma. And if Joy Hoffmeister is able to cut into his lead in rural Oklahoma, I'm, I don't think that Joy Hoffmeister you know, wins rural Oklahoma. But if she can cut into his lead somewhat there, um, I think that that's going to be a very long election night for the governor because those are the returns that he needs to come in. And if the people in rural Oklahoma are you know, dealing with drought, dealing with a lack of hay, uh, you know, to be able to feed their cattle uh, and then worried about whether or not their their rural schools are going to close and they're going to have to figure out how to drive their kids an hour each way to school, then rural Oklahomans begin to stop thinking about things like, 
abortion and, and uh, you know, transgender rights or whatever it is that the governor wants them to think about. And they start to think about these bread and butter issues that are really going to affect their way of life. And that could be a real, real problem for the governor. You're calling things like this a gimmick whenever you do have teachers. And I, I know teachers. I've seen them in my own, my own kid's school district pick up and leave and go to other states because the pay's better. Uh, that doesn't mean that we don't have a lot to offer here in Oklahoma. But if we don't keep up with the pay and, you know, kudos to the governor for signing a $1,200 pay increase this first year in office with Governor Fallon's budget that she left him, uh, you know, good for him to do that. But that was four years ago and $1,200 four years ago, especially with inflation and on the on the heels uh, of or not on the heels, but coming up on a, uh, what is most likely going to be a recession. That $1,200 really doesn't buy you a lot anymore. And so teachers need more. And if they can get it somewhere else, they're going to. And Oklahoma kids are just going to have to suffer as a result. The political arm of the State Employees Union is putting its endorsement behind Governor Stitt. The Oklahoma Public Employees Association's Political Action Committee is praising Stitt for passing many of the group's legislative priorities. And even with more than 30,000 state workers, could this have an impact on his reelection bid? Well, I mean, obviously, endorsements are something that every campaign goes after. I mean, you want to be able to tout and show that you have uh, widespread support, that you have uh, major groups uh, that are behind you. And in this case, I mean, there's 30,000 plus state employees. Uh, I think about a third of those actually are uh, dues paying members of the OPEA. But nevertheless, uh, it is an endorsement that legislators like to see uh, that uh, certainly is a is one that the governor will prominently uh, uh, talk about. And I think when you when you look at these endorsements in this particular instance, I think you see uh, something interesting in that uh, he was not endorsed by the OPEA when he ran the yeah, four years ago. Uh, that endorsement went to uh, Drew Edmondson. Uh, they had endorsed prior to that election, Mary Fallon, uh, in her re-election uh, campaign. So uh, they they have certainly moved uh, kind of back and forth across the board. But I think they're what they look for, like many organizations, they look for the working relationship they have with the sitting governor, the ability to get things uh, legislatively moved uh, and passed uh, that they that they care about. And that was one of the things that the executive director uh, highlighted in the release is that they felt like that they had exactly that good access to the governor's office and his people, that they had been able to uh, uh, been able to move the needle on uh, issues that were important to their membership. And as a result, uh, they were proud to uh, endorse the governor um, this year in his re in his reelection. Ryan. Well, you know, it's it's go along, get along. Uh, the the OPEA, if you look at where and, you know, as a, as a former candidate and legislator myself, you know, I had their endorsement. I, I appreciated their endorsement. Uh, it was something that was helpful in my campaigns to have public employees in my district go with me and knock doors and talk about the importance of investing in, in uh, public employees and, and uh, public servants uh, that perform the vital services that we depend on as Oklahomans. Um, I think that OPEA and it, really in the years since Governor Henry left office uh, has, has really tried to figure out what's its role at the Capitol. Uh, you know, they are a union after all, and unions are, are typically uh, seen as you know supporters of the Democratic Party and Democratic candidates, and they've had to try to figure out you know how do we make uh, make progress with re a Republican-controlled legislature, and you know now uh, you know, going on our third term of Republican governors. Uh, so 
they've they I think they have really scaled back. I know that they said that the governor has given them a lot of what they wanted. Well, if you I would imagine if you go back and look at what their agenda was and what they're asked for uh, eight years ago or 12 years ago, they were a lot more ambitious than what they are today. And so getting what you wanted today when you're asking for something that's you know, probably meager compared to what, where you were 12 years ago, um, you know, I, I suppose that's something. And you know, access is a lot. And so if, if they feel like they've got access and can pick up the phone and get the governor's support or signature on a bill, well, of course, they're going to support the incumbent. I, I imagine if Joy Hoffmeister wins, you know, and if uh, if there is a Governor Hoffmeister administration and they're uh, receptive the same way, if Governor Hoffmeister is running for re-election, she'll get the OPEA endorsement. So it doesn't really seem to be a surprise, especially given their tactics and, and kind of their, their change uh, in mindset over the last decade or so. Meanwhile... The state's largest tribes are endorsing Joy Hoffmeister for governor. The Cherokee, Choctaw, Chickasaw, Muscogee, and Seminole Nation represents more than 800,000 citizens living around the nation. Leaders are citing Hoffmeister's respect for tribal sovereignty and her commitment to work with the state's nearly 40 federally recognized tribes for the betterment of all Oklahomans. Ryan, how big of a deal is this? I think that this endorsement is huge. Uh, it's historic. I don't know that the tribes have ever come together for an endorsement like this. And even if they have, feel free to correct me. But I, I have never seen anything like this. And it's it's really because it's uh, in response to a historically adversarial governor. Uh, it's, it's difficult to imagine if you're able to at all, a governor in recent history in the state of Oklahoma that has been more adversarial to tribal sovereignty and the tribes than Governor Stitt has been. Uh, I think that when he walked into office, again, you know, looking back four years ago, with all of the political capital that, that he walked in with, uh, I think that he spent the vast, majority of, the vast majority of his political capital in unnecessary fights and provocations with the state's tribal governments. And you know, from, from the moment that they've tried to you know, negotiate compacts or uh, come up with cooperative agreements, the way that the tribes really always have, uh, with the state of Oklahoma and the progress that we all benefit from that, especially in rural Oklahoma. Again, you know, this is something that I believe could cut into the governor's rural support in rural Oklahoma, and that could be a real problem for him. Um, and so I, I think that that's, you know, it's, it's certainly historic that they're doing this, but it's not a surprise. I, the governor um, today in response to this, I, I, we're taping on, on Monday, everyone, because I, uh, I'm going to be out of town, but, um, you know, the governor's response, you know, said that this was, that these were special interest groups. Uh, well, they're not special interest groups. They're sovereign nations. I, I really think that if the governor's politics around tribal governments sounds a lot more like the tribal, the politics around tribal governments, maybe in the early 1990s, uh, when there were Oklahomans that were upset that uh, tribal governments had their own license plates or something like that. And, and now more and more Oklahomans, uh, tribal citizens and non-tribal citizens alike, recognize the enormous benefit that Oklahoma uh, receives by the cooperative nature between the state of Oklahoma and the various tribal jurisdictions that, that uh, coexist within uh, our boundaries. So um, this is one, again, why the governor has continued to pick these fights and hasn't uh, sat down at the table with the tribes is you know, something that historians will scratch their heads over for years to come, uh, because it's really out of step with this party. This isn't a partisan issue. There are a lot of Republicans out there that see the tribes as somebody that they need to cooperate with uh, for the benefit of our state. Um, but this is, again, you know, if, if the governor sees his margins drop in rural Oklahoma, I think that this endorsement is going to be uh, part and parcel for that uh, for that drop. Neva. 
Well, it will be interesting to see. I mean, this is, I think you're right, Ryan. It's uh, unprecedented to see this kind of, uh, not only the the money that uh, certainly uh, the the tribes have put behind uh, Joy Hoffmeister and independent uh, expenditures and things that have gone on to this point, but the fact that they now are presenting this united front, uh, this came four weeks out from the election, um, and I think it is uh, clearly an attempt, or at least it looks that way, uh, to set the stage that they will have a full court press on trying to turn out the vote in their in their respective uh, uh, tribal nations. And I think this is going to be the fascinating thing to look at, uh, both uh, as it occurs and then afterwards, looking back on this election, is were they successful? I mean, you know, we argue about groups that um, have large blocks of potential voters, but don't do a great job always delivering them to the polls. That's oftentimes said even about teachers that historically, I mean, many would argue looking at past elections that they have not been, um, you know, they have not as a block uh, of educators been always the best on, you know, getting their folks out to vote. So each of these groups that we're talking about now, it really is incumbent upon them to deliver. I mean, because they've they've thrown down the gauntlet on this. I mean, it's a it's a fight, as you say, Ryan, that's been ongoing through uh, through the entire governor's term. But now we see it come to fruition with this election and the fact that they have made it very clear that in their words, I mean, they say that this is the single most important thing uh, that they can focus on uh, with respect to not only the impact immediately, but the impact they view for the, the future as they um, as they move forward. So um, I, I think that, I think when you have five tribes like the Cherokee, Chickasaw, Muscogee, Choctaw, and Seminole nations, you have these 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 leaders coming together. Um, I do think it's going to get a little more attention than normally it would, given the fact that the conversation now has been so centered on that this is a real competitive race. And he's also a member of the Choctaw Nation, Neva. So this has got to be kind of a little bit of a blow to him because he is actually a member of one of these tribes that's going against him. And yet, I think uh, he certainly never highlighted or focused that focused on that very, uh, uh, very much that I that I have right. noticed during the course of his uh, uh, time in office, and even when he first ran uh, uh, for political office and and won. Uh, so, I mean, and here's someone. I mean, you have to remember. I mean, in these kind of races, you don't count anyone out. I mean, it's still a competitive race. And honestly, as we get to the final three or four weeks in any campaign, the, if there's going to be some really hard hits back and forth and no no uh, uh, no holes barred in terms of the punches that both are willing to uh, give and take, uh, you don't know how the public is going to really react to that. I mean, it could be, uh, it could it could um, it could move it either direction. So to for anyone to suggest, and and I don't think anyone I've heard no one really outside the campaigns themselves suggest that that uh, that they think they know what the outcome is going to be because for the very reasons that we're talking about on this show today, it is uh, it is a very fluid environment out there, and uh, I think that voters do care. 
about what's going on in the state. They know and and feel problems. And some of those problems are with the national backdrop. I mean, let's remember, I mean, with inflation and as you talk about, Ryan, a, a, a recession or any of these factors that are pocketbook issues with Oklahomans. I mean, paying what they're paying at the gas pump and paying for a dozen eggs and just for living expenses now. I mean, these pocketbook issues ultimately are very important to voters as well. And how these how these candidates across the board talk about those issues sometimes have more influence than one might imagine. And, and it's become kind of a perfect storm for turnout for, for uh, Joy Hoffmeister and that, you know, now you have tribal governments that are going to, you know, unroll what uh, may be one of the largest get out the vote efforts uh, in state history for a particular candidate. You mentioned teacher turnout that it's, you know, uh, in the past not been where Democratic candidates especially needed teacher turnout to be, you know. You know, bad luck for uh, Governor Stitt that his uh, guy, the TikTok wunderkind, uh, you know, Ryan Walters out there is just generating not just turnout for him, but massive turnout against him. And they see him as aligned with the governor. Um, I, I'd be really interested to see where this race would be today if Ryan Walters weren't on the ballot with the governor. I mean, it may be the exact same, but my sense is that the governor's part of his struggles right now are the fact that he has attached himself like Velcro to Ryan Walters. Leaders of the Oklahoma's largest tribes are joining the Osage Nation and calling for the repeal of House Bill 1775, prohibiting public schools from teaching certain concepts about race and gender. The Cherokee, Chickasaw, Choctaw, Muscogee, and Seminole are also calling on the state board of education to stop enforcing the law. Ryan, do you think lawmakers will pay attention to this call? You know, we talked about this last week. I, I think that there's going to be a couple of schools of thought this coming session. You know, one is going to be a group of lawmakers that want to fix this. And I think that, you know, among them, there'll be a various types of fixes. Do we make it more clear? Or do we repeal it? And then I think you're going to have another uh, group of lawmakers that are going to say we need to double down on the confusion or we need to or even further, uh, you know, take 1775 even further uh, and restricting, you know, what can and be can't uh, can't taught in classrooms. You know, I, I do know that, um, you know, the the confusion here, I mentioned this last week, and I, I think it really is. I think the confusion is a big part of the point. Uh, I, you know, I see educators on social media. I, I, I visit with educators in person on a regular basis I, uh, at, at all levels from, you know, common K through 12, common ed. Uh, I visited, you know, directly with, um, with professors and administrators and higher education and the, the biggest concern is, is, uh, is uncertainty, you know, lack of clarity, confusion. And they just don't know what to do. And they're, they're dealing with all of that in the midst of you know, incredibly difficult teaching environments to begin with. Um, and so, you know, I think that it's going to be uh, real telling this coming session, you know, which of those two groups wins out. And, uh, you know, I hope that there is a group there that, that is a fix. And you know, the, the easiest fix here, of course, would just be to repeal 1775. Let local school boards deal with this. Let our teachers deal with this. And, and more importantly, let parents deal with this. You know, let let parents uh, step up and, and play a role in, in their, their kids' education and stop relying on, on, you know, a bunch of legislators up there that think that they know best. You know, this needs to be a local issue decided by parents, teachers, administrators at the local level. And so repeal would be the easiest way to go here now that you've got these tribal governments. And, and when you talk about tribal governments, they overlap with these legislative districts. Uh, and so that's that's incredibly important when it, when a lawmaker, when a state representative or, or a state senator gets a phone call 
uh, from tribal leaders in their district. You know, I don't care if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, uh, you listen. Uh, you may not always go along with what they're asking you to do, but you listen. So they're going to have a, a real audience this, this coming legislative session on what happens with 1775 and moving forward. Neva. Well, and this seems to be kind of a twofold proposition, I mean, in this conversation to me, because you have the uh, kind of the timing of the the uh, the tribes coming together uh, late last week, uh, agreeing and, and calling for this uh, repeal of 1775. And and then after the weekend coming together in Oklahoma City and endorsing Joy Hoffmeister. And I think what we We'll see now uh, with their focus on trying to bring this issue kind of more to the forefront uh, for voters to pay attention to is, will it be a conversation point that really uh, gets to um, gets to be very large in the superintendent's race, in the governor's race, or some of these other races? And I think, uh, I think that's something from a timing standpoint, if you step back and really look at this, I mean, you have to say that the political dimension to this is is really kind of the key focus in my mind right now. The legislative component of what they do when they come back in session next year is a is a totally different uh, totally different conversation and proposition. And obviously, uh, if they're you know if it's Governor Stitt um, who has been reelected. That's one proposition looking at the legislative uh, landscape, or if it's a newly elected uh, Governor Hoffmeister, governor, then you have something entirely different uh, in terms of the dynamics that will be involved in the, in the legislature next year. So it's fascinating the fact that they have put this front and center and, and clearly by their own comments, uh, these, these respective leaders, uh, they believe that this is a, a major issue uh, it, it, that needs to be addressed. I mean, I, I thought it was interesting um, that uh, I believe it was uh, uh, Chief Hot, uh, Hoskin that said that it continues to say that this is a uh, that this is a problem in search of a, a solution. Um, I think that I think that you've got a united front on this issue with this group. And now it uh, will be fascinating to see if they try to parlay that into something even more in the closing stretch of this election. Ryan and Eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of KOSU, its staff or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at donate.kosu.org.